For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. As always, this is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and yes, happy warriors. Check me out on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Also by email, you can reach me at monicacrowleypodcast at gmail.com. Let me know what's on your mind. I love hearing from you guys. Okay, uh, coming up here next week, we're going to be joined by Senator Rand Paul, who is one of the great heroes of the country and certainly one of the great heroes of the COVID pandemic. Uh, He is a medical doctor. He has been one of the very few. He and along with Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, they have been the two leading the charge against uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the CDC, the NIH, all of the lies that we have been told over the last three years plus. Rand Paul has just written a brand new book exposing so many of these lies. It's called Deception. The Great COVID Cover-Up, and he's going to join us next week. So that is not a conversation that you are going to want to miss. Trust me on that. So we're going to be joined by him. Also, Dinesh D'Souza with his new very important film on the police state in America. Also coming up here on the show, we're going to be joined by Senator Ted Cruz, Alveda King, Natasha Owens, the country music superstar, Bill O'Reilly is going to join us, and we're working on other really big names that are going to be here, so you're not going to want to miss a second of this show. Coming up later today on the program, the one and only John Schneider of the Dukes of Hazard, legendary actor, musician, uh, and now activist for America. So Bo Duke, John Schneider is going to be here. I cannot wait to talk to him. You are going to want to hear that, so sit tight. But first, the Monica Memo. It is very difficult for the American mind to process certain things. And that is because the American mind is still very idealistic. Even after everything we've been through from the revolution to the Civil War to the Great Depression to World Wars... Vietnam, and of course, 9-11. But generally speaking, the American psyche is still pretty uh, idealistic. I dare say naive in many ways. I'm not talking about our so-called leaders who are completely corrupt and evil. I'm talking about the American people as a collective. We are generally still very idealistic generally because we are a good people. Yes, we are a great nation. We are still a good people. And again, this does not apply to our, quote, leadership. But I'm talking about the American people. We are good people. We are generous and kind and supportive people. 
We will give you the shirt off our backs. In our communities, you know that Jason Aldean song about try this in a small town? Yeah, because that's where true American values live still. And so our general collective psyche is still, you know, um, almost childlike in a way, which is lovely. There's an innocence to it, which is very special because we are still such a young country. So that I, I hate to see us lose that. But on the flip side of that innocence and naivete is this idea that lingers that our leadership is looking out for us, right? We always just assume that because we have self-government, which is hard, and we're failing the test here now, but because we have self-government, that our leaders are a reflection of us. We elect our mayor, we elect our city or town council, we elect our member of Congress, we elect our senator, we elect our president. Because of that system and our uh, inherent innocence. We like to believe, we hope to believe, we assume that the leaders that we vote for and elect and install in office with our confidence and our consent, that those leaders are representing our interests, that they have our best interests at heart. And it is very difficult for the American mind to wrap itself around the idea that they don't. We're going to talk about this more in the future on this show because it is a hard truth. I know it's a brutal truth. Oh, Monica, what are you talking about? You know, no president, no Congress, no intelligence agency would sell us down the river. Well, I think you might have enough evidence now from the DOJ and FBI and how they're treating our fellow Americans, from Donald Trump to the J6 defendants, all the way down to parents showing up at school board meetings because they love their kids. I think we have enough evidence now to realize that, in fact, our, quote, leadership does not have our interests at heart and are leading us down very dark paths. We need to wake up to this as a country. I know this audience is awake to it, but we have to be awake to it more broadly. We have to wake up our friends, our family, our communities, our, our colleagues. That's what this show is all about, so make sure you tell everybody about it. But we've got to wake people up so that they can see with clear eyes what is going on here. The people we entrust to protect and serve us are protecting and serving themselves at our expense. And now it looks like they're trying to drive us into another Middle East war. And of course, it will be us. It'll be the deplorables who they want serving in any kind of military operation abroad. You're cannon fodder to them. They could care less as they sit in their mansions in Georgetown and Silicon Valley and Hollywood, and God knows where else, they just sit in their lap of luxury and they throw you to the wolves. They can't stand you. They hate your guts. They want you dead. Unless and until they need you as cannon fodder for one of their new money laundering operations somewhere in the world. Speaking of lap of luxury, the leader of Hamas, Khaled Mashal, is living his best life in Doha, Qatar. 
Now, I've been to Doha many times in my official capacity in the U.S. Treasury Department. We did many trips to the Middle East. I've been to that city. It is spectacular. That city is beyond belief. Absolutely gorgeous, well-run, safe, sparkling. So the head of Hamas is living in the lap of luxury in Qatar, but he's out here now calling for his shock troops in Hamas to make themselves known on Friday the 13th. That would be tomorrow, if you're listening to the show as it goes live here on Thursday the 12th. He's calling for a global day of jihad to strike at the enemy. That would be the infidel. That would be you and me. And so I'm piecing all of these things together because I want to make a couple of big points here about our own leadership. I am not privy to what the Department of Homeland Security under Joe Biden is doing in terms of precautions. I am not privy to what, say, the city of New York or other cities are doing. I can tell you that as I sit here today doing this show in New York City, I can hear helicopters constantly overhead. Now, I am close to the East River, and I can always tell when stuff is going down because of the helicopters overhead. They fly over the river. And then they fly across the city. And literally, as I'm doing it now, you guys can't really hear this probably, but there are helicopters literally right over the building. So the the threat is absolutely real. But your, quote, leadership that could not give a flying wit about you, does not care whether you live or die, actually prefers that you die. I don't know what they're doing with regard to the terrorist threat, but I can tell you what they're not doing, closing the border. All Biden would have to do is close the border. Now, it's not that hard. You just close it. You enforce the border, and then you begin deportations. He could do that right now. While listening to this podcast, he could do it right now, but he's not, and he won't. Why? because it's all intentional. This is the intentional destruction of the country. So again, maybe they're taking some precautions with regard to an elevated terror threat here in the U.S., but they are not closing the border, which is the number one opening for a terrorist threat. They will not do it. They have not done it. And again, you know, when people say, oh, well, it's incompetence, it's not deliberate, the response to that is always, well, if that were the case, they would have changed course. Even if they want to flood the zone and bring in all of these dangers into the country, even if they wanted all of that, out of the desire for sheer political survival, because the polling is horrendous for Biden and the Democrats on the wide open border and illegal immigration more broadly. So out of, out of the desire to politically survive, they would have changed course by now, and they haven't. They haven't, and they won't. So that tells you that this is all of a piece Your leaders could give a flying wit about you. They do not care. They do not have your best interests at heart. They haven't for a very long time. 
These are about much bigger and darker agendas. And the American psyche, you and me, we're on to them. But we have to be educating our fellow Americans about the darkness of this agenda, how straight up evil this is. Since Biden has become president, a conservative estimate of illegal immigration, six to eight million, again, probably a lowball estimate, nearly two million gotaways, again, a lowball estimate. These people just coming into the country, having no encounters with Border Patrol or ICE, just coming in and melting into the country. So not only do we not know who is in our country, we don't know who is actually running our country. Sure isn't Biden. We suspect it's Barack and Michelle Obama and the entire Obama crew, along with, you know, the radical globalist left from George Soros on down. But stay focused here on the border. This, again, is something that I have been hitting since I launched this podcast in March of 2022. As far as I know, I was pretty much like the lone voice. There may have been some others, you know, making this case, but focused on specifically on terror and the terrorist threat. I was in New York on 9-11. I was here. I smelled the death. The death smell lingered for a very long time. And I remember all of the hand-wringing. I remember the tears. I remember the grief. I remember the sorrow, the shock, the horror, all of it, with real discussions about the true nature of Islam and the rest of it. And here we are 20 plus years later, and we are going to face something akin to 9-11 or even worse, probably worse. And we're all going to wring our hands again and wonder how it could happen. You know how it could happen? This. This is how it happens. The wide open border with hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, terrorist suspects, known terrorist suspects on the watch list, coming over the border, melting into the country, going into our cities and God knows where else. On 9-11, many of the hijackers were on expired visas. Do you remember that? None of them were flagged, never mind removed from the country. That was at sort of, you know, some of the initial stages of political correctness and everything else, and nobody wanted to target Muslims and the whole thing. So none of them were flagged, never mind booted out of the country. After the 9-11 attack, we had the 9-11 Commission, and they spent years on their final report, and they determined that there were too many walls between law enforcement and intelligence, between the FBI and the CIA and the NSA, etc. And they said, you know what? These organizations need to be able to communicate better to flag potential threats. Do you remember that? Well, now, knowing what we know about the CIA, the FBI, the DOJ, the NSA, they're spying on Americans They're training their firepower on American parents and Catholics as domestic terrorists while they're not paying attention to the actual terrorist threat coming in from the wide open border, ports of entry, and beyond. Again, your, quote, leadership, your government agencies that are supposed to be protecting you are not. In fact, they are deliberately 
imperiling your life and the life of your family and the life of your community and the life of your country. They are doing it on purpose. After 9-11, we created an entire department, the Department of Homeland Security, to try to better identify potential threats and stop them before an attack. That was the ostensible reason for creating DHS. Well, DHS now oversees the border. And DHS, again, your leaders, the, the Secretary of DHS, Alejandro Mayorkas, Oh, he tells you to your face, oh, the border is secure. It's not open. What are you talking about? Epic gaslighting because they are deliberately endangering you. On 9-11, we had thousands of dead Americans in the street because immigration did not do its job and law enforcement did not do its job and intelligence did not do its job. That was all supposed to be fixed after 9-11, but it's not. Deliberately so. And now you've got a couple of things leading to a perfect storm of a terrorist attack. You've got the wide open border. You've got the collapse of Afghanistan, where the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, God knows who else, operating with a free hand. They got a staging ground again in Afghanistan after 20 years of sacrifice by the United States and our allies. Biden just wrote it all off, created a complete power vacuum in Afghanistan. So you've got that. Now you've got the Hamas attack in Israel That could lead to a wider war. We've got over 1,600 people dead in Israel. We've got thousands more wounded. We've got at least at this count, uh, 25 Americans dead. Another possibly 25 Americans being held hostage. And at least another 20 where we don't know where they are. And again, these are probably lowball estimates here. But we've got Americans in harm's way in Israel because of the Hamas Iran attack. So now you've got that in the mix. And of course, you've got the wide open border with hundreds, maybe thousands of terrorists just meandering across. I hope to God that I am wrong. I really do. But if we are hit, it could make 9-11 look like child's play. It could be a biological attack. What do you think COVID was? COVID was a biological attack coming from the Chinese and frankly, our own government that created SARS-CoV-2. We will talk to Senator Rand Paul about all of this next week. But we are already under biological attack. Or it could be a chemical attack. Well, what do you think the flood of fentanyl is in this country? That is a chemical attack. Again, your leaders allowing all of this to happen, they do not have your interests at heart. They are actively working against you. Or God forbid, a nuclear attack, maybe a simultaneous one. Maybe nuclear weapons go off in Times Square and downtown Chicago and downtown LA and downtown Dallas and Miami. And we don't know. One thing that the terrorists have that we do not is imagination. That's what they have in common with the left, 
with the Marxists, they have a hell of a lot of imagination to come up with new and creative ways of killing us. 9-11, nobody dreamt of that, flying airplanes into buildings. You kidding me? And that's why I dread what the next attack is going to look like. Just take a look at what is happening in Israel, the nature of that attack. Yeah, it was a traditional attack, but it was comprehensive and multi-pronged. Land, sea, air, well-funded and well-coordinated out of Iran. And our administration, our leaders are still sitting on that $6 billion. $6 billion is just the tip of the iceberg. They're, they're still allowing that $6 billion to go forward. They have not refrozen that. Uh, again, that tells you where they're coming from. But that $6 billion is just the tip of the iceberg. Between Obama and Biden, they have released tens of billions of dollars to Tehran. Ask yourself, what side are they on? I bring up the nuclear issue because over the last year, I guess, New York City did a briefing on what to do in the event of a nuclear attack. I'm not sure if you remember that, but I do. And everybody was like, well, what the hell is this? Why are you talking about a nuclear attack? Well, I don't know. What do they know? Again, our leaders do not have our best interests at heart. Over the last like year or so, and I've brought you some of these stories, the Pentagon released a report earlier this year, and again, I brought it to you at the time, identifying over 50 Afghan personnel in the United States with information in the Department of Defense records that would indicate potentially significant security concerns. In other words, known terrorists. The Pentagon itself is admitting that there are known terrorists that we brought in from Afghanistan. Then you've got people coming from the Islamic world, posing as Venezuelans, and then coming across the border as, quote, Venezuelans. We have all of this on record. We know it. Guys, we can see the terrorist attacks coming down the track. The train is heading right our way, and our leaders are not raising a pinky finger to stop it. That's how evil our current leadership is. That's how much they want to destroy this country, take it down, and get rid of you. It is a hard truth for the American people to process. I started out by saying that people don't want to believe that their own elected leaders, these are not like dictators that just seize power. These are people who come to power through an elective process. That's how they keep us down and quiet. Because we had a hand in, in, because we had a hand in electing our own government. So therefore, it's a reflection on our judgment. They play on that. They leverage it and they use it in order to destroy us and take the country down. Very tough for the American people to process that point, but I want you to absorb it and spread it around. This is why you're here on this show. This is why I do this show, to enlighten and educate everybody before it's too late. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to switch gears and talk about the state of the country and the state of our culture in Hollywood and more with the great actor, John Schneider. Bo Duke from the Dukes of Hazard. joining us next. Sit tight. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile 
and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Okay, welcome back. I have been so excited for this conversation for quite some time. If you grew up in the 1980s, like I did, you watched the Dukes of Hazard religiously. It was like a religious experience watching this show. And if you were a girl in the 1980s, as I was, you had a big crush on the two stars of the Dukes of Hazard, Tom Moapat and John Schneider. I may or may not have had John Schneider's uh, poster on my wall. I am just saying. John has had, of course, an extensive acting career, including the iconic roles of Bo Duke on the Dukes of Hazard, of course, Jonathan Kent on Smallville, which I also loved, and Jim Cryer on Tyler Perry's The Haves and Have Nots, along with recurring appearances on Dr. Quinn Medicine Women, Nip Tuck, The Secret Life of the American Teenager, and Dancing with the Stars, which I've got to ask him about. He is also an independent filmmaker and a very accomplished musician with over 20 albums to his credit, right up to his latest, called Southern Ways. He's had five number one singles on the Billboard country charts. And I, I want to make mention of this. He co-founded with another big idol of mine, Marie Osmond, the Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, which has raised more than $7 billion for medical research. For information about everything John is doing, you can visit his website at johnschneiderstudios.com. He also has a brand new single out about grief, and it is amazing. It's called We're Still Us. And I am so happy that John Schneider joins us now. Welcome to you. My goodness. My goodness. That was great. I'm what what an honor to hear all that. I appreciate it. <laughs> so did you have the poster? I have to know. Did you I, have it? I, I did. I, I have to say I <laughs> I did. I had the Dukes of Hazard poster. I had a single poster of you up on my wall. You and Duran Duran. So you're in very good oh uh, company. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that is great. You know, I don't think people people really can't comprehend with, uh, you know, everybody basically has a television station on their phone, you know, in their pocket. I don't think people uh, people that are part of the whole cell phone Thing, which of course I have them, but they can't understand that there were three networks. That was it. So there was ABC, CBS, and NBC. And uh, if you didn't watch the show when it was on, you had to wait for a rerun. You know, this whole on-demand culture that we have now didn't exist back when Dukes of Hazard was on, when the uh, when my poster was on your wall, and uh, and so we, we were we you know we averaged twenty eight million. Week. That was so. It, it was a time where, where everybody, when you were a, when you were a television star, uh, even if you didn't watch the show, everybody was aware of Chips. Everybody was aware of the Hulk. Everybody was aware of Dallas and Falcon Crest and Dukes and BJ and the Bear. And so it was an an entirely different time. Uh, and at at that point, I think uh, I think celebrity actually meant something. So celebrities had a tendency to 
think before they spoke. Uh, unlike today, where you know there's a lot of a lot of people who are are YouTube celebrities that nobody nobody who actually works for a living has any idea who they are, um, and they are they are uh, sometimes. I think abusing their abusing their celebrity and uh, speaking before they think. I was taught to chew my words carefully before I spit them out, and sometimes I do, you know. But uh, I think that's contributed to uh, some of the mess that we're in today. I went right into the mess that we're in today. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, we are going to get in. into we're it. In a bigger mess today than we've ever been in, in my 63 years, that's for sure. It's unbelievable what is happening. And I do want to get into that with you and the state of the country and where we are. But you just made some really important points, John. And it's true. People don't, you know, the, the younger generation has no idea. First of all, they, they have no idea what life was like pre smartphone, but also pre like cable television, Netflix, streaming services, they have no idea. And you're exactly right. Shows like the Dukes of Hazard were appointment television. People would literally not go out to dinner that night. They would stop all of whatever social calendar they had to be home to watch the Dukes of Hazard, to watch Dallas. And it's when you say 28 million people, people need to understand these are like Super Bowl numbers because there was no place else to go, right? And the show was so much fun anyway. But you had like, I don't know, maybe maybe a quarter of the country tuned into your show when it was airing, you know, because people just didn't want to miss it. There were no VCRs. On Friday night when uh, when high school football was happening. So, you know, the whole Friday night lights thing. There, there were a couple places in Georgia, I remember, that, uh, that moved their Friday night football game to Saturday because attendance was down so much. And, and now that I think about it, the number, those were the Nielsen ratings. I don't even know if the Nielsen ratings exist anymore. I, I guess that's what they still call them. But those were actually 28 million households. And Dukes of Hazard was a show, like many shows back then, that the entire family watched. We had, they had TV dinners on TV trays, and you know, TV trays also had uh, Bo, Luke, Daisy, and Uncle Jesse on them as well. Oh yes. So we're probably closer if you if you if you count a household as four people, we're we're over a hundred million people a week, or a hundred million sets of eyes that were watching the show every week. So it was a it was a, a very different different time uh and and uh once uh, i think the the big uh, the big change as i recall was a thing called that uh, was hbo home box office which uh, started out as uh, not really a streaming service but you could you could watch movies on there i don't think you could order them i think they were just movies that were that were showing on hbo and then that turned into something you could you could actually call in somewhere on your princess uh, touchtone phone and, and somehow get a uh, get a specific a particular movie you wanted to watch on your television you know in, in an hour or so it, it was never like you know I want it now but what was that the, the little girl in Willy Wonka I want it now right uh, and and she was a bad egg right so <laughs> that's right so that- we've had a lot of a lot of changes and uh, and some of them certainly uh, there there's a price for convenience and i think we're seeing we're seeing a bit of that well quite a bit of that now uh impatience and and uh, people who really uh, with all the information we have 
at our fingertips, people, I think, are less aware of what's really going on now than ever, at least in my lifetime. Yeah, because they're all channeled into, you, you know, they, they seek what they want to find. And so they're, they're not getting a full scope of, of what reality is. And your point about I'm celebrity. So yeah, I, I yeah, just, I'm yeah, so go ahead, John. So glad you said that because I think um, I think curiosity is one of the one of the biggest gifts God gave us, and discovery. And uh, when someone today looks up a looks up a word or looks something on Google, that's all they find. Uh, when I was a kid, when I had to look up something in a dictionary or an encyclopedia, you know, you'd never go right to it. You'd find things on either side of what it was you were looking for. And invariably, it would it would pique your curiosity, and you'd read about something new. So you'd have a new word. You, might, you I don't know if you ever did the word of the day, but you used to do that and try to learn a new word every day. But you'd always find something interesting on on either side of whatever it was you were you were looking up. You're looking up Badlands or looking up Band Aid, and and uh, you'd find something on either side that piqued your interest and would would expand your mind a little bit. So that's all. That all went away. Um, I, I think uh, young folk today don't even really know what an encyclopedia is. You know, it's it's rare to it's rare to see a uh, it's rare to see a book. Yeah, well, that's true. It, it's either on a Kindle or nobody's reading books at all because the attention span is so narrow. You know, we have been conditioned with social media to think and express ourselves in 140 characters or less. So the idea you'd pick up a 300-page book is like beyond comprehension for the younger generation, right? Yep. I always like the feeling of my right hand telling my brain how much of the book was left. Yes. Oh, you're exactly right. That's so true. Yeah. And and in fact, with books, like I know a lot of people have Kindles and it's just easier, especially when you're traveling, you throw that in the bag rather than a bulky book. And I get that, but I like the tactile sensation of holding a book or holding a newspaper and kind of getting the print on you a little bit and turning the pages yeah. and that sense of accomplishment as you progress through the paper or the book, right? Right. And if it's a really good book, it's kind of like, oh, no, I don't have I don't have many pages left. Now, when you read, it just kind of ends. <laughs> right. I know. And it's like a letdown. <laughs> it is. It is for me. And I drive a lot. So I listen to I, I listen to books on tape quite a bit. But I do uh, I do read uh, just about every day. I hold a book at least for a little while. Um, and I miss that, you know. So so there's a there's a. Uh, it's an entirely different world. I, I don't know that people, uh, well, certainly uh, somebody under 30 has no concept of what it was. It's not their fault. I didn't know what life was like. Uh, I was born in 1960. I, I have no real notion of what life was like in 1950, just, just what I read. So uh, it's not their fault. But I think uh, technology being what it is, not only do people find only the information they're looking for, but the information that people want to force down people's throats actually finds them, which is different. You know, books didn't jump off the shelf and leap into your hands and, and feed you propaganda. Uh, and that's what's happening now, and it's been happening for quite some time. Uh, anybody who has a phone, which is everybody, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced 
talking about something with a friend. I mean, you're going to get you you will get something from Duran Duran today. I guarantee it. <laughs> Somehow, some way, Duran Duran is going to pop up on your phone because it now knows that that's something you may you may spend money on, or that may be something that you are willing to give your your email and some private information to. And uh, I think ten years ago that would I would have sounded like a conspiracy theorist, but but. Everybody knows that's true. Well, well, let me let me just stop you there and say that I would still run off with any member of Duran Duran, so I would welcome that communication oh, on my phone. Absolutely right. Um, let me ask you this because you know you mentioned celebrity, and at the height of Dukes of Hazard, you and your co-star Tom Wopat, um, and Catherine, uh, who played Daisy Duke, Catherine, Catherine Bach, Catherine, Catherine Bach, Bach. Thank you. Um, I mean, you guys were so famous, and you still are, obviously, but at the height of Dukes of Hazard, I mean, it was just wall-to-wall John Schneider. And I've had other very famous uh, people on this show, like Kelsey Grammer, who's a good friend, and Jim Caviezel and others, and I asked them the same question, Kirk Cameron, I asked them all the same question, and I want to pose it to you too, because I, I find it, I find the responses fascinating. Um, when you hit that level of fame, are you prepared for it? Do you have a support system around you for it? And does it feel like, uh, I'm not sure how to phrase this, except to say it's almost like a spiritual level when you are literally known by everybody and you're in this vortex of heightened fame where you're being chased down the street by girls like me who had posters on the wall of you. It's a very heady experience, but it's also a very surreal experience. So can you talk to us about like that moment where you realized your life was different now and, and how did you manage that? Sure. Um, when I realized it was it was different, um, I went to. Uh, I'm from Mount Kisco, New York, but I'm, my mother moved to uh, Atlanta when I was 14. And malls were brand new. There was a place called Perimeter Mall outside of Atlanta, and I had gone to school, gone to high school at North Springs High School, and was you know one of the one of the bunch. But my brother and I went to Perimeter Mall uh, sometime in in. Uh, the spring of 1979 dukes had just come out in january i mean just like weeks ago and i went to a to a store spencer gifts or store a, a record store or something with my brother at perimeter mall uh, just thinking i could go there and i had my big my big hair and you know i looked like me so uh, so uh I watched people all of a sudden start to, to look and then kind of whisper and then realize that it was me. And, and it was like you said, I mean, we basically had to security had to get me out of there to a mall I'd been to a thousand times uh, a, a month ago. <laughs> so it was uh, it was a little it was a little scary. It was great, but it was uh, it was a little scary. Um the great thing about television in those days, and I, I don't know if it's still this way, but but of course there's there's no television show that has that everybody is aware of. 
I mean, I, I just now, two months ago, saw the, my first episode of Yellowstone. People have been talking about it for years. And I never saw it and wouldn't have known anybody from it except Kevin Costner. And I would have known him from other things. But in those days, in uh, we started Dukes in 1978. It was single camera film. We did 24 episodes a year. So we were, we were 12 hours a day, five days a week, 10 months a year. Wow. So there wasn't, re- and we were in Los Angeles or Burbank. Um, there, there was really no time for celebrity to catch up with any of us because we were sequestered away working our working our butts off it was great fun it certainly wasn't like like digging a foundation with a shovel i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't ever really call it work but it was very uh time intensive so and it was also los angeles where where nobody would dare look at a celebrity and 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 be a fan because you know they're just so above that out there (laughs) (laughs) um so it was a, it was a, an interesting combination, but I do I do feel uh, I, I started doing theater when I was eight years old, um, and doing magic and 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 being involved in in chasing my I won't say my dream it was my dream but I really feel it's more like a design I, I think God designs us to do very specific things. So I was I was uh, actively engaged in that for a for a decade before Dukes of Hazard happened, even though I was only eighteen when Dukes of Hazard happened. So when it when it happened, I had already learned the uh, uh, discipline of of theater and showing up on time and knowing that the the uh, guy or girl that hangs the lights if you know you can act your act your butt off but if you're not standing in a light nobody's going to see it so everybody has really equal importance on the on the job um so i appreciated it uh which is why when celebrity came to me i felt that there was something that needed to be done with that and 1982 was the birth of uh, Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. But prior to that, I had done work with the March of Dimes. Uh, prior to that, before Dukes, uh, different shows I had done, uh, Summer Stock and things in Atlanta, uh, we would take to children's hospitals to try to cheer up kids who were attached to machinery. So, so that's always been a part, always been a part of my life, uh, always been a part of my, my makeup that if you are fortunate enough to be given, uh, a gift like celebrity, you should do something good with it. Um, so I, 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 I think I have, I mean, I know children's miracle network is just, is just phenomenal. We're, we're 40 years old now and just uh, going stronger and stronger. It's, and we have yeah. money that's raised is for uh, uh, we raise money for hospitals and then they so it's not it's not research unless they want to spend it on research. Mm-hmm. So our promise to uh, our 170 hospitals has always been, you know, we we know how to raise money and you know how to spend it. So basically, don't tell us how to raise it and we won't tell you how to spend it. <laughs> it's an amazing thing that you've done with Marie Osmond. Seven billion dollars raised since you started this. That's incredible. We've topped eight now. We've topped eight billion. Wow! Now. Wow! And you know what's one of the sad things about our world today is it, it, when I said 
when I was talking about billions of dollars a decade ago, uh, it meant something. And now we're in, what do we have, a $33 trillion deficit? You know, uh, uh, we just we just released eight or six billion dollars as if it was 65 cents uh, to a country that uh, to a to a regime that uh, that basically hates people. And uh, this is my opinion, of course, hates people. And uh, look what they just did with it. So so we've now somehow devalued people. We used to talk about millionaires. Oh, my gosh, they've got a million dollar house. Well, you know. Now in Los Angeles, you get a million dollar house and it's a it's a fixer upper. It is. It's true. It's price inflation. It's the fact that the Fed has been printing money for decades uh, with impunity. And we're the ones left holding the bag with higher prices, cost of living crisis, all of it. I mean, as as you look around, uh, John, and, you know, you first of all, I cannot believe you were only 18 when Dukes began, I mean, <laughs> that when you look back on it now, I mean, you were a kid. Yes, you were, you know, 18, but you were a kid. We were all kids, right? And I, I know that like with, with the passage of time, and it's not unique to us, but people look back and idealize their childhoods and everything else. But the, the country was in a different place. And, you know, you talk about uh, the culture and the fact that the country had common touchstones for culture. So everybody sat and watched Dukes. Everybody, the country came together and watched MASH. Country came together and watched uh, Dallas. Country came together and watched, you know, went to the theater and saw Beverly Hills Cop. Like there were common cultural touchstones and we don't have that anymore. So the wheels, you know, we've got the political corruption to deal with, of course, but we also have the wheels coming off on the cultural side as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, that goes back to everybody having a different uh, a different channel in their pocket. I mean, people people uh, watch, uh, they think they're watching the news, but really everything you have that comes to your phone, I mean, unless you go and, and search it out, uh, I watch Newsmax on my phone. Um, unless you go and search it out, you get you get things that you think are, you know, breaking news, but it's advertising. It's all it's all advertising. Uh, and none of it is none of it is common. You can have twenty people on a bus, and they're all going to get twenty different twenty different pieces of news that that fit their uh, their lifestyle or their spending habits. Really, you know, it's about um, it's about getting people to buy things, and it's about I, I said a little bit earlier. It's about people uh, giving up their personal information, their private information, so that hackers can. Uh, can go in and, and not just steal their identity, but you know basically take everything. I've got uh, I, I do um, I do a, a, a letter to heaven in the morning. My my bride passed away in February. Oh, I'm so, so sorry, I, John. But, uh, yeah, thank you. That's what um, we're still us is about. The uh, it's an album, by the way. That's that's a single on the album. The album is called We're Still Us. But I do. Uh, I do most mornings. I'll do a. I'll do a post, and and uh, like as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to go help put together a crib for the uh, grandson that's going to be born in March with my son-in-law. But I put I put up posts, and within seconds, there'll be people who are commenting on comments. So wonderful people will comment on my posts, uh, and then someone will comment on that comment. Pretending to be me, 
mm-hmm. and saying or pretending to work for me. Hey, this is John's personal assistant. You know, he's going through a terrible time of grief. If you'd like to send him a, a note, then click here. And somebody will. And then they'll be asked for information and then they will be ripped off. It is, I, 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 there's a special place in hell for that. Yes. And, and, but I don't think it's people sitting somewhere. I, I do think that there are, I guess you call them bots, but there, there's something going on that is really scaring me. And, uh, uh, it, especially, remember, I think it was last week we had that, uh, that pulse that came over our phone. Did you get that? Did you get that? Uh, oh, I turned my phone off for about two hours and hid it yeah, away. I was, <laughs> I was going to, and I forgot. But I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what that was, but that happened. And then the Saturday after that happened, these these incredible atrocities happened in, in Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hamas, it, I mean, it's just, it's it's, it's butchery. It's so things are happening with technology that then seem to have very uh, uh, far-reaching consequences. Right after that, again, conspiracy con- conspiracy theorists. I don't know, but uh, we're in we're in very very volatile times where where uh, technology and and. Uh, now, in that case, butchery seemed to be very closely related. So I'm, uh, I'm not, in, I'm not in fear. I don't believe in fear. I think, but I do think we have to be aware of what's of what's going on, um, and be prepared to do something about it. Um, we've got to get our, we've got to get our unity back. Yeah, we've got to get our country back. We've got to get our patriotism back. Um, how do you think we do that? I'm not sure how to do that. I, I, I don't, I don't know. Sadly, I think the only time we really realize that is when something bad happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I, but that's, I think that's just kind of the nature of man, especially good people. You know, good people expect people to be good, right? People who are trustworthy, don't expect to be cheated because we don't cheat. It doesn't right. occur to us. That's right. But uh, but people who cheat and people who are bad people and uh, and to uh, to to quote President Trump, we, we and we don't even know where the bad people are. Of the couple of million people who've come over our borders in the last three years, we don't know who they are. We don't know where they are. We know they're everywhere. But we don't know where specifically because they weren't vetted at all. I'm a I'm a, an asylum seeker. Okay, come on in. We'll we'll see you in six years in court. Really? <laughs> it's like the Trojan horse without the horse. That's correct. <laughs> so, uh, and and um, I don't personally think that that uh, uh, I don't think it's out of stupidity. I think it's intentional. I mean, I, I think our country was bought and paid for, and the, the man who some people currently call president is the one that was uh, that has benefited from it the most, him and his family. And uh, I think it's I think it's just awful, 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 awful. And uh, I hope we uh, I hope we survive 
long enough to be able to bring that man to trial. I really do. I do. From your lips to God's ears, you know, the, <laughs> the corruption runs so deep and it's been going on for so long. And now when you pair it with just the abject evil that we're seeing, and you mentioned the atrocities in Israel at the hands of Hamas and its patron Iran, obviously, you know, babies being decapitated and burned alive. I mean, it doesn't get more evil than that. Um, but also here in the United States, you know, drag shows for little children and so on. I mean, the evil is so in our face now. And I know that you are a man of faith, John, and you have been your, your whole life. Do you see this as a spiritual battle? I mean, obviously, we've got this, the secular stuff coming at us all day long, but it strikes me that we are in a spiritual war, that this is a spiritual war. We're in the middle of it, right? But evil yeah. looks like it's on the march, and people of faith, I think, really need to come together. We absolutely need to come together, but something I, I think people really need to realize is, is that these terrible, awful, nasty, disgusting vicious barbaric people think they're right they think they think it's a holy war that's that's right i have i have thought about this for decades is that if if uh you can't you can't negotiate with someone who feels their god is on their side so i i tell people uh in a in a in a uh Boy, here we go in a Republican a Republican versus Democrat conversation, or in a in a conservative versus uh, liberal world. Um, my my belief is that the liberal Democrats are willing to be moderately inconvenienced by what they believe, but the conservative Republicans are willing to die. You know, I am willing to die for my country. Mm-hmm. I am willing to die for what. Uh, what I believe in, I believe the United States of America is the city on a hill. I believe that that if we fall, then freedom falls, or the even notion of freedom, the dream of freedom disappears. It vanishes from an oppressed world. And then those people like Hamas and those people who feel that their God is on their side and they are justified in doing these barbaric this barbaric butchery, um, they will win. Uh, so what is the, what is the saying? Uh, uh, bad things happen when good people do nothing. Uh, the problem is good people are basically, like I said, people who are trustworthy, trust people. People who are good think people are good. And this, I hope, is showing people that there are people who are not good. These people are not good on any level. Mm-hmm. So they need to be eradicated. I've never used that word in my life, but they need, they need a clear message needs to be sent to them that this is not okay. Uh, what did, what did uh, Harrison Ford in the first Indiana, Indiana Jones said, uh, you, want, you want to see God? Here, let me help you. <laughs> yes, right. You know, yes. Let me help you. you. Want to meet him? Let me help you. I am I am so concerned about tomorrow because uh, tomorrow is uh, the 
the bad guys have called tomorrow, Friday the 13th, as a global day of, and forgive me, I don't know the word. Jihad. Jihad. So we have unprecedented strangers in our country. We have the worst atrocities that have been committed against any people. Uh, but certainly, my God, the, 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 the poor Jewish people. The, I have friends who have family in Israel, and they can't get them on the phone. I mean, they don't know, they don't know where they are. They don't know if they are. <laughs> so we have a, a, a worse situation than we have had. The, 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 the last time anything like this ever occurred was the Holocaust which we've all learned about and studied and read about and been disgusted and hurt and pained by for decades. That happened last Saturday. Thursday before last Saturday, everyone in the world's cell phone gets some sort of a test of the emergency broadcasting system. Really? <laughs> all this all this stuff comes from uh, from China, who is... Who is uh, you know, communist China, who we are, we, not we, but our administration is quite obviously in bed with. So we have that and we have the pulse thing that happens. Then we have this, these atrocities on Saturday. We have a war uh, right now going on. Uh, we have denial that the people we gave $6 billion to, or at least the use of $6 billion to, really had anything to do with it. You know, we're going to take our time or we're going to figure that out and see and tomorrow we have a, a global call to action to uh, what I what I heard on uh, the news yesterday was basically that means take everything that you've learned, everything that you have been taught and put it to action tomorrow, wherever you are. If that isn't scary, I don't know what is. So I, I'm, uh, I, I hope that we are ready for tomorrow. I hope nothing happens, but I can't imagine that that's going to be true. Mm. And I, I'm not a doomsdayist. You know, I'm, I don't have my long white beard saying the end is near. But that's an awful lot of, uh, I don't believe in coincidence either. That's an awful lot of, of very bad, potentially bad things lining up. What do you feel about that? Yeah, I completely agree with you. In fact, I did the whole monologue for the show today based on the wide open border and Islamic terror and putting all of the pieces together. So I completely agree with you, John. I do think that there is a spiritual side of this, that this is a spiritual battle. And once you see it that way, with those eyes, you can't unsee it. Because the evil is more aggressive than ever. It's more in our face than ever. I mean, all you have to do is look at the, the pictures of, you know, decapitated babies coming out of Israel to see that yeah. evil is more brazen than ever. I mean, it's always been with us, obviously. But it does, it feels to me... Um, you know, and I, I don't want to say conspiracy theory or end times or apocalyptic or anything, but it feels like we are in a spiritual battle. And I, again, once you see it with those eyes, you can't unsee it. Correct. Yeah, you can't unsee it. And, and it's undeniable that as soon as we pulled out of Afghanistan in the embarrassing way that we did, we exhibited for the first time 
I really think the first time. I mean, there's a difference between exhibiting uh, a difference of opinion or a difference of policy or, or, or maybe just not even being that bright. <laughs> Going back to Carter. Yeah. But we, uh, we exhibited uh, weakness and idiocy. We exhibited for the first time that we don't know what we are doing. And from that moment on, I can still see those people trying to grab a hold of that plane. From that moment on, the United States, which was the the uh, the most formidable, not just power, but but I think also philanthropic, uh, uh, caring. You know, we we've done things out of out of uh, because out of uh, a desire to help mankind. Since the beginning of our country, because we're good people, we're good people, and we are we are a free people who feels like freedom is something worth sharing, and we need to protect those who are striving to be free, wherever they are, uh, and sometimes, many times, to our own hurt. But we can't help it because we're good people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But three years ago, we became not only not only uh, stupid people at least our administration you know globally inept but now we're not even we're not even good you know now we're just kind of trying to cover our tracks our administration i don't mean us we are still good people but our leadership is non-existent our leadership is uh, has has thrown our our country away in my opinion and in the opinion of many people many people that i hang around with, and I do not believe that any of this would be happening if this administration were not in power. Right, that's correct. I, I believe that, that peace is, uh, you know, I'm a peaceful person, but I'm uh, back to my New York roots. I believe that peace is that period of time with which you have your foot firmly planted on your enemy's throat. Yes. Peace is something we keep not something we earn and then it just kind of is we are the peace keepers and uh and we need to be that again i my prayer is that there's enough left uh after after these these current atrocities that that there's actually a uh, a peace to keep um it's it's <laughs> these are these are very troubling times, and and I know you know my 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 uh, my father lived through troubling times. My grandfather lived through troubling times, but the United States of America has never turned its back on atrocities like we have done in the last three years. Um, so I I uh, I actually think Hillary was the Manchurian candidate, and they got cocky and they lost, kind of like an LSU football game. But um, uh, President Trump says that uh, that Biden is the Manchurian candidate, and uh, I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't give him that much credit. But um, we definitely have things things going on right now that uh, we need to pay very close attention to. We don't have a Speaker of the House unless 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 something happened this morning i didn't i didn't listen to the news this morning but but as far as i know as we speak we still do not have a speaker while the world is falling apart under the hands of the bad guy i mean really bad guys yeah. these aren't just people we 
disagree with. These are evil monsters to do what they've done. Um, so I, I don't think I'm like Chicken Little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. We, we have never in the history of this country experienced what we are experiencing right now. Never. Uh, and, and I think we are categorically unprepared for it because we've been so, so focused on things that, that, uh, you know, when people are kicking your door down and, and, and firing weapons into, into children's bedrooms, then I think really the transgender conversation really, we don't need to be talking about that right now in the military. We need to be, we need to be a better shot. We need to have better intel. We need to be able to protect our people and those people whom we are trying to help find freedom. We are trying to help people pursue opportunity and uh, life and liberty as, and the pursuit of happiness as they define it. That's what we do globally. We've not done it, and look what happened. Look what's happening. Ah. Well, we also, starting in the 1960s, kicked God out of the public square, out of public schools, well, yeah. uh, out of government, etc. And, you, you know, when you do that, there are consequences to it. And we're seeing that now. And, you know, all of this is by design. It's all deliberate. You alluded to that before. I've done many shows, including my monologue today about how this is all intentional. And the reason you know that is because... You know, Biden is just a malleable puppet, and it's the the Obama team uh, running the country. So Obama, this is yeah. Obama's third term, um, and you know, any any normal politician would have changed course. They would have course corrected by now, just out of sheer desire to get reelected or have their party protected. Because looking at the polls or the wide open border, Biden and the Democrats are suffering big time as a result of it, and yet there is no course correction. And that tells you straight up that this is all by design. It's a deliberate attempt to destroy the country and get us to this, you know, very dark one world government run by a surveillance state and a social credit score system along the lines of what the CCP does in China. That is the ultimate goal. And people better wake up. Yeah, I mean, they've got it as they look at it. They've got to realize that, that this administration Obama's third term, absolutely, is uh, it, it's they aren't worried about getting reelected, not because they are going to cheat. But I don't if if their plans, if they succeed, there will not be a United States of America to be reelected president of. They've thrown it away. They've sold it. And it's it's despicable. And we and, and, and they tried it. They've been trying for for three years now to to take our guns away. They've been trying to say the Second Amendment is old and outdated and uh, and it's not necessary. And, and look at all these terrible things that are happening. No, the Second Amendment is so that the people can take up arms against an oppressive government that when when the government forgets who they work for. They work for us. They are our representatives. We are not. We are not their people. They are our people. And they need to, I'm sorry, they need to kiss our ass up and down Main Street and start acting like what they were elected for. Start doing what they were elected for. And this one, they're not. 
they're not. So we gotta, we have to be, we have to be ready. I mean, my gosh, it's 1776 all over again, and that's okay. It it really is. It does feel like a revolutionary moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. It, it it it. This must be what it felt like, but we're too comfortable. You know, we're used to our cell phones. We're used to our. We're used to all of our creature comforts, and and people were not that comfortable back then. They were farmers, and they were working the land. And when someone came against them, they were coming against the land that they worked with their family. And you're not going to take the land that it's like a western. That's why westerns. I love. I love westerns. You're not going to take my land. I will die to save my land, to protect my land and, and my family. But now nobody even really owns anything, and they don't realize it. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, well, that's true. And then, of course, the say, oh, your house is your most your most uh, your most important asset. Well, unless you've already made your last payment, it's not your house. I know. I've lost several. So uh, you know, the bank owns your house until you uh, until you make your last payment. Until you have that deed. You don't own your house. It's not your asset. It's the bank's asset. Anyway, that's a whole other that's a whole other story. Well, and that that's going to the World Economic Forums and the globalist agenda of by 2030 you will own nothing and be happy, which is right. essentially communism. This is global Marxism, and it's married to this very dark globalist agenda. Um, it is. Go ahead, John. The, I mean, I don't know a whole lot about it, but that's why the term reverse mortgage kind of scares me. Um, anyway, I guess that's another, another time too, but, um, I do have an album coming out. Please tell us about it and tell us about this new single. Well, it's, it's, we're still us and, uh, we're still us. We're still, we, we're still you. We're still me. We're still us. Um, I lost my wife to, and I, I, you know, I hate that word. I didn't lose her. I know exactly where she is and I know that I will see her again. Um, uh, and so many, many people, when I do a concert, I, I ask a show of hands how many people have lost a spouse. And I'm always shocked to see how many people raise their hands. And I say, look, before you get out of here tonight, if you if you raised your hand and you saw another hand raised, go go over there and meet that person. And be be someone to you know help them and let them help you because you are the only people who understand what this feels like. And sadly, I get it. I don't want to, but I get it. So um, in March, I started writing new music with friends of mine in Nashville. I'm in Nashville right now. And uh, we wrote songs uh, about my experience. And my, my sincere hope is that these songs will allow others who are, I call it, on, this, on the road, on the road of grief, on the road of mourning, uh, it will allow them to think about it a little more openly, to talk about it a little more openly, and to realize that 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 their excruciating pain is not uh, is is nothing to be embarrassed about. Uh, it's 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 something you need to somehow embrace, and you need to know that you will, in fact, see them again. One of the songs is called Somewhere Down the Road. You know, we don't know when, um, but one of these days, I believe, I'm Christian, I believe that uh, when I take my last breath here, uh, I'll open my eyes and be there, and she'll be there waiting. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's healing for people. Um, I have lots of friends. Uh, 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 I'm, I'm doing a podcast myself. I think, uh, I, I think you know uh, Didi Sorvino. Yes. So Didi and I, we started to do a podcast. We're, we're fishing around trying to design it uh, called The Morning Show, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Uh, in an effort to, because nobody wants to talk about grief. Right. So this, this, because it's uncomfortable, you know, and nobody knows what to say. And the assumption is that people who are grieving don't want to talk about it, but we do. It helps us. So I'm hoping that this music will help people be able to, uh, to grieve a little bit more fully, a little bit more, a little, a little bit more openly, um, and help those around them kind of understand you can't really and god bless you if you can't understand it because it means you're not on the road and i don't want to be here but i am uh it'll it'll help those around you understand a little bit more about what's going on in your in your mind um because it it can i mean it can drive you crazy i'm i'm reading a book right now it's and it's called uh, you're not crazy you're grieving um so that's that's my my uh, my hope for that. It uh, it's available for pre order on uh, the twentieth of October, and then we ship on what I call Orange Friday, which is the Friday after Thanksgiving, in honor of the General Lee from the poster on your wall. <laughs> <laughs> I may still have that poster somewhere, John. I'm uh, just saying. I'm just yeah, saying. It'll be it'll be brittle. It'll be. Brittle. <laughs> <laughs> it's so wonderful that you have done this, and I'm so sorry for your loss. I did not know that you had lost your wife earlier this year, and my deepest condolences to you. I know the audience joins me in that, John, um, and my sister lost her husband a couple of years ago, and so she's like a young you know, widow. And so we've been through it as a family. Um, And if you haven't been through it, you know, I I hope it doesn't happen to you. But if you're lucky enough to have loved, um, and Mm -hmm. like you and your wife had an incredible marriage. So I love that you do this, and you're putting out the single to help other people navigate their grief. Because like you say, as a society, we don't handle death very well, and we don't handle grief very well. And so songs like this, and and this album, they're going to help so many people, John. So I want to thank you for that. You know, because it's it's uncharted territory, and uh, and we don't know what to do. We have no idea what to do. We have no idea where to put it. Uh, and and I don't know if we have time, but quickly, a, a pastor friend of mine said, you know, when God created man, He didn't create man to die. It wasn't part of the plan. Uh, the original sin and death entered into uh, into mankind. Uh, wasn't wasn't the design. So there was no system in which. You know, you cut yourself and then you uh, you you uh, scab you scab over and you and new skin. There's all kinds of systems that God designed, but He didn't design any system with which to to deal with grief because it wasn't supposed to be part of of uh, our lives. And and when it happens to you, that's what it feels like. It's like, what do I do with this? Where do I, where is this coming from? What in the world? So uh, so I do hope that it helps. Um, and if you are on that road, please find someone who is also and and befri- play golf with them, play bridge with them, and, and, and have a cup of coffee. 
uh, and, and just talk to them because they're the only ones that will give you, I promise you, they're the only ones that will give you any kind of solace because nobody else gets it. As, as much as they try, they don't get it. So, uh, so do that for you and do that for your family. Uh, otherwise you might just go crazy. I, you know, it's a, it's a very, it's the most difficult thing I've ever had to deal with in my life. Yes. And, uh, and you need, you need God, you need your faith and you need your, your family no, and your friends. Stronger. It's made my faith much stronger. You know, now I'm, I'm, uh, I'm counting on the reality of heaven. Yeah. You know, before heaven was a place I was going to get to one day and I hope it's far off in the future. Now it's like, okay. Heaven, I'm. Uh, I'm. Uh, I don't want to go there today, but but uh, if something happened and I did, I know where I'm going. Yeah, and I know who will be there. Uh, my mom and my dad and my grandfather and the brother I never met. You know, it's it is going to be a glorious day whenever it happens. Um, and and that's a that's a much better perspective than I than I used to have. So so there is a. Um, there is a silver lining in this in this rather dark cloud, and I hope, like I said, I hope that the uh, hope that the album "We're Still Us" will uh, will express that to some people who need to hear it. The album and the single "We're Still Us." Um, if you are grieving, if you know someone is grieving, please go check this out again. Where can people find it, John? Well, they can't find it yet. They can't find it yet, so you have to be patient. On uh, on the twentieth of October, it'll be available for pre order. I will post some of the lyrics. I'm going to start posting uh, the lyrics on my Facebook page, just so that they can they can read them and and hopefully they'll go. Oh my gosh, he's been reading my heart. Uh, so, uh, and that's just John Schneider Studios on Facebook. So check that out. Uh, but the music itself will not. It won't come out until. Uh, Orange Friday, like I said, which is uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving in honor okay. of the General Lee. Amazing. Okay. Just amazing. Well, we've, got some, we've got some great stuff there, and, and we've got uh, Alicia Ware. My wife is Alicia, and we have uh, Alicia Ware t-shirts and hats and, and things that she used to say that were very inspiring. Uh, she and I made, we, we were together eight years, only eight years, and, and we made uh, uh, I think it was 11 movies and 14 albums in eight years. Wow. And we were we were a force, a force to reckon with. And um, and she wrote a book about being in the driver's seat, which is also going to come out uh, at, at that same time, uh, pre-order on the 20th. She had uh, she had stage four breast cancer and and we beat it uh, for quite some time. And then uh, uh, but she remained in the driver's seat of her diagnosis and of what we were doing and strongest person i've ever seen um so if you want to you want to read about uh, uh strength and tenacity and i used to tell folks she was as tough as a waffle house steak so you want to read about her <laughs> that's quite the description very romantic john <laughs> she 
she wasn't a real fan of that, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Very romantic. Um, listen, it's such a gift that you've given to her and to her memory and to your family and to all of us by doing this album. Again, it's called We're Still Us. It's going to be available for pre-order on October 20th. If you want more information about all the projects that John is working on, including this new album, please go to John Schneider Studios. Com. John, I cannot thank you enough for taking so much time with us today and sharing your story and talking about America and sharing the story of your wife and this new album and new single. It's so important. It's going to help so many people. And I feel so blessed to have connected with you. Me too. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the perspective. And uh, God bless you. God bless your listeners. Uh, the folks is going to tell tell someone that you love that you love them. Don't take it for granted that they know that. Yes. Tell it to them in the morning. Tell it to them before you go to bed. Tell it to them. Text them that you love them in the afternoon. Just do it. Do it. Do it. Uh, basically, the Bible in two words: love one another. Okay. That's uh, the most important message of them all. And I'm thrilled that we can end on that message. And I hope everybody will listen to it, absorb it, and actually do it. Because you never know, you never know what tomorrow might bring. I mean, we're in these very dark times. As John mentioned, tomorrow is the day of jihad. Hold your loved ones close. Tell them all the time how much you care about them, how much you love them because you never know. And this new album is going to go a long way to bringing people together and healing people. So, John, I want to thank you so much. Actor, filmmaker, musician, the one and only John Schneider. Thank you so much, my friend. God bless. God bless you, too. Thanks for the conversation. Wow, what an unbelievable show, guys, right? I mean, we covered a lot of ground, and we got to talk to the unbelievable John Schneider. That was a real treat for me. I hope it was a real treat for you guys, too. All right, stay safe tomorrow during the global day of jihad, really. Uh, Take precautions, have situational awareness, protect yourself and your family as well as you can, and uh, enjoy your weekend. I will see you right back here next week. We're going to be joined by Senator Rand Paul, Dinesh D'Souza. We've got so many big, big guests coming up as well. God bless you. Be safe. Be well. This episode of the Monica Crowley podcast was produced by Behakel Entertainment, LLC. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.